0: The Courage to Lead, episode 169.
1: You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast.
0: Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a phenomenal week. I'm having a great week and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Catherine Matice. Catherine is the founder and CEO of Civility Partners, an HR consulting firm focused on helping organizations create respectful workplace cultures. Her clients range from Fortune 500s to small businesses in a multitude of industries. Catherine is an HR thought leader and has appeared in such venues as USA Today, Bloomberg, CNN, NPR, and many other national news outlets as an expert. She's an award-winning speaker, author, and blogger, and has 31 courses on LinkedIn learning. Many have been translated into other languages and are available across the globe. Catherine, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, no, this is fun. I've been looking forward to our conversation here. I love talking to thought leaders. I mean, a lot of people have ideas. You've actually put your ideas out there. Mm -hmm. And this is a podcast about courage. That takes courage. Cause you put an idea out there and stuff and people can come back and say, Oh no, that's not the way I see things. Right. And then you get into the debate and stuff, but you're out there. And that's, yeah, that's
1: awesome. I, I did. Uh, I was out there before we were really talking about toxic work environments or workplace bullying um, some, you know, microaggressions, these very hot topics today. I was, working to solve them 15 years ago, before we even were talking about it mainstream. So yes, I- And we, now
0: we seem to be I talking about, about it.
1: Later. Yeah, yeah, now everybody's talking about we're it. Talking
0: about it. <laughs> yeah. So things have not improved?
1: Correct, no, they haven't. All
0: right. That's sad. All right, we're gonna come back and talk about all that, who the real culprit is. I have some ideas. Um, and how that all works and everything like that. But before we get started, I've got five, uh, 10 questions. I almost said five. Why? Why would I shortchange you? Ten questions that I ask everyone. <laughs> no. These are the ten questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor Studio, where the host James Lipton asks the same questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. And I always figured if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So sure. if you're ready, ten questions for you. Question number one, what is your favorite word?
1: Lately, my son's been saying "nuggle," like I want to snuggle with you. But he's only he's almost three, so I'm gonna go with "nuggle."
0: Nuggle.
1: That's awesome. All right, what
0: is your least favorite word?
1: Hmm, probably the word "hate." That's not a good word. Yeah.
0: What turns you on?
1: Ooh, um, champagne. (laughs)
0: Love it. All right. What turns you off?
1: Um, annoying people. People who are, who are egotistical. Let's say that.
0: All right. Um, what sound or noise do you love?
1: Mm, I don't know. Back to my kids. I love the sounds and noises that my two kids make.
0: What sound or noise do you hate?
1: Mm, there's that word hate that we said we didn't like um, the word that I sound or noise that I hate. Um, I don't know. I don't really have anything that I hate. I've you the blank, plain one, nails on a chalkboard. I think everyone chalkboard.
0: hates that. Yeah. Yep. That's it. All right. Question seven What is your favorite curse word?
1: F word. Okay.
0: Yep. That's the most popular. Yeah. <laughs> um, what profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt?
1: Interior designing. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Very cool. Uh, what profession would you not like to do? a uh,
1: professional stunt person. I don't have the <laughs> the uh, courage to do that.
0: <laughs> You're a mom. You're a super human being as it is. Thank All right. Um, finally, final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates?
1: Welcome. Here's your shiny crown. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Welcome. Yeah, anything short of that would be concerning, I think. Yeah. All right. So we're going to come back. We're going to talk about how you got your start, um, who you work with, how you help them talk a lot about toxic culture, where they come from, what causes them, uh, how do you overcome that? And uh, at some point, we'll transition and talk about courage and leadership.
1: Sounds good.
0: All right. Listeners, we'll talk about all of that and more right after this. So stick with us. Well, you don't have to imagine any more. You can have that and more when you join my business success mastermind group. Join my business success mastermind group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Catherine Matice. Good to talk to you. I'm so glad you could be on the program today. So forgive me, but I don't really believe that kids grow up thinking, I want to be in human resources. How did you find yourself in HR? How did that happen?
1: Yeah, I was the receptionist at a little startup firm and uh, they hired a consultant to help them grow. And she said, we don't have any HR here. You don't have any HR, you need somebody. And so she turned to me and said, do you want to do HR? Sure. So, I got my start at maybe 22 and uh, she, I essentially reported to her and started doing HR and that's wow. how it happened. And then from there, I went on to be an, an HR um, or an executive assistant where HR was part of the role and then grew into director of HR as that company grew. So, wow.
0: and you're uh SHRM, you've got a lot of certifications now through SHRM, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, I have all of the things. Yeah, so I'm a I'm a strategic HR consultant. So that's what all those initials essentially awesome. refer to.
0: Awesome, very cool, and thought leader. But you also consider yourself a disruptor.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. Talk
0: about that. How how are you a disruptor?
1: I approach human resources pretty differently. So simple example, my logo is bright pink and orange and blue and purple. And, you know, everything's very in your face. I speak very bluntly. My blog posts are pretty blunt and um, I have a lot of fun in the way that I write my blog posts and all of my team has picked up on that because they also write blogs uh, for me now. And uh, versus a lot of more typical HR consultants or maybe the Navy blue, you know, and it's very compliance focused and it, part of it's the shift of HR. HR was personnel and over time it's pulled itself out of being compliant and now HR professions include, um, you know, employee engagement and the employee experience and and all of that. But I would say I was focusing on all of those things before they were popular. Yeah. Yeah, And
0: I, you know, I didn't really think about it until you mentioned it, but HR used to be to protect the company.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Now it's more on the side of the employees.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. And, but there it's um, a little convoluted. Yes. Being a good HR professional means that you're focused on the employees and the outcome of that is that the organization is then being protected.
0: Yeah. Wow. And so how did you, start working with toxic cultures. Is that just kind of the the big problem now that companies are dealing with?
1: Well, I was that company where I was the executive assistant and worked into being the director of HR. I uh, worked with another director there who was essentially engaging in bullying. I would say he was a micromanager. He yelled, he was very tense Um he made it very clear if he didn't like you versus if he did like you he just created a lot of problems and i personally felt picked on he definitely did not like me and i was one of his targets um, but then as a director of hr i was hearing complaints about it i was dealing with the over uh, the turnover in his department and spending a lot of time talking to the president about it and so uh it was frustrating to observe. And I, despite all of that frustration, and quite honestly, it drove me into some depression. I was really struggling there towards the end of working there. Um, Despite all of that, I was really fascinated by how there were 50 people and nobody would really speak up to this person. Why did 49 people allow one person to wreak havoc? And that was the question that I was really interested in. And I started getting my master's degree while I was working there. And my degree is in organizational communication. And so I just, on a quest to find the answer to that question, uh, ended up doing all of my graduate research on the topic of workplace bullying. So I, I joke that I essentially have a master's degree in workplace bullying, wrote my thesis on it, all of that. And then pretty quickly after grad school, I wrote a book and started Civility Partners. And I just, having read all of that academic research, knew it was a problem. And maybe it wasn't a popular problem to talk about, but I knew it was a problem. And, you know, talk about courage. Literally every single person I knew told me, you can't have a consulting business around workplace bullying. And I'm like, yeah, I can. Just watch watch. Me. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, because I know, I, I know I've heard stories where individual uh, women, let's say, will come in and say, hey, this person is inappropriate, bullying, degrading, whatever it happens to be, it will take a mass action where a group of women have to come in and say, we're walking out if this isn't changed. Mm-hmm. And then the story I'm thinking about, the company actually had the gall to give this guy a huge severance package. Mm-hmm. Yep. To let him walk away so they wouldn't have to deal with stuff. How do businesses get away with stuff like that?
1: I think it relates to this paradigm we were just talking about for HR, where the shift's gone from employer focus for HR to employee focus. And so employers are slowly but surely shifting from um, performance focus to people focus. So if the organization's really focused on performance and generally, people who engage in toxic behavior are high performers. That's why it's allowed because, you know, you don't let poor performers engage in toxic behavior. It's generally a a high performer. So as long as the organization thinks that that performance is more important than people, then it's going to be allowed. And, you know, when I go in and coach toxic leaders, that's always the narrative. They've been doing that for a long time. And HR, just like me, has been, when, when I was going through it, trying to talk the leadership into letting them resolve it, and the answer is no until something happens. Somebody finally files a hostile work environment complaint, or um, you know another valuable person quits and says it's because of that toxic leader. So um, something often is the catalyst for HR to finally get that permission. But yeah, it's it's if you're too focused on performance and results, then you're going to let bullying happen.
0: Wow, and at some point, that that bully, even though they're a top performer, that's going to impact everything else in the organization. The organization is going to start falling apart. Um, did you ever watch the TV show House? Yes, House was uh, a, bully, a bully. Was uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of terms we could probably put to them. I try to my clients I'm working with. It's like you you can't allow somebody to be House just because you know you right. need them to perform. Yeah. House was House, and they needed him, and they let him get away with murder, pretty much. You can't do that to your company. You'll lose some really top employees if you keep that one person in, uh, if you don't get that person in check, right?
1: Yeah. Well, and one of, the, of course, the many ways that TV show was unrealistic, because it's not meant to be realistic, but the um they positioned House as although he was toxic, his team really looked up to him, and he was their mentor, and That's not reality. And when you have a toxic leader, you don't have a team of people vying for their approval. You have a team of people who are unhappy and looking for another job. So, you know, they sort of glorify House's behavior by having that be the relationship that his residents had with him. And that's just not
0: the anti-hero yeah that's that's TV only folks. that's TV only. Um, <laughs> yeah. So give me some examples of a toxic culture. What does that look like from the inside?
1: Well, toxic, I would say a, a main component of a toxic culture is not having psychological safety. If people feel uncomfortable to share ideas, ask questions, to learn or try things out, try new things, um, then that that, in my mind can be toxic, but certainly there's a spectrum. If I feel like I can't share an idea because my boss is a little rough around the edges, probably most people would say that's not toxic. Um, I would say it's still a problem that needs to be addressed because you're missing out on whatever that person has to offer if they're not speaking up. Um, but when we go into organizations uh, that are have defined that they have a toxic environment and need our help, it's often a lack of trust in the leadership team, Um, People have been witnessing and observing poor behavior and seeing it not being resolved. Um, Managers and supervisors aren't aware of how to even go about solving something like gossip or bullying. Um, They've not been told that that's expected of them and they haven't been told, you know, given tools on how to do that. Um, So those are some of the the main things. Um, The trust in leadership is a big one because leaders have allowed it to get that way, right? So often there's a lot of trust that needs to be rebuilt and they have to come back and say, we do care after all of these years of not caring.
0: (laughs) That's not something that happens overnight. That takes a long time, doesn't it?
1: Right. Yes. Yes. And I, you know, it's a tough job because a lot of times leaders, they, you know, obviously they sign the the contract, they want me to work with them, they want to fix the leaders or the the toxic culture, but then it's like I have to come back and say, "Well, the survey results are pointing to you as part of the problem," and you know they have to be ready to take that. And um, they aren't always. And so you know, then I I'm in a conundrum where I have to figure out: is there a way I can really convince them that this is real data and that they need to change, or are they? You know, it's the same with coaching my toxic leaders one-on-one. Um, just convincing them that, hey, this is real data. This is really what's happening. And you either can own it and then we can change it or not, but I can't work with you if you're not going to own it.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's not always easy to hear. I know as a coach, it's tough to have those kind of conversations, you know, yes. the, the, to the, the business owner, or the, the leader, hey, it's you, it's not them, you know, mm-hmm. because they're, they're seeing either, like you said, employees getting away with things, Mm -hmm. So the rules clearly don't matter because that person gets away with it. Or why am I getting, you know, in trouble when that person's getting away or your leadership or they're telling you be nice, you know, we're a family here. And then they turn around and talk bad about somebody behind their back or something like that.
1: Right. Right. And uh, to piggyback off that, I think a, a key component of a toxic work environment is one that's not paying attention to its core values. And I was, um, giggle a little to myself when I see core values around an organization and they've hired me to help them fix a toxic problem. I'm like, I mean, literally every core value, or at least every organization that has core values has at least one around relationships or inclusivity or, you know, respect to human behavior. And um, if you were following your core values, I wouldn't be here. So um, that's, that's a key piece. Use your core values.
0: Yeah. Well, and a lot of companies, small to mid-sized companies, a lot of them, they may think they have core values. They may be written down somewhere. They may even be on posters around the building. They're not discussed. Mm -hmm. They don't give examples. This is what that behavior looks like. Right. If they're not going to really make that an integral part of the business, it's not going to work.
1: Yeah. You have to, I mean, your performance management uh, system should include the core values. They should be turned into core competencies, So that everyone has to be competent, I say in air quotes, with um, living those core values. And, um, you know, they should be talked about at meetings all the time. I mean, they've got to appear in every nook and cranny of the organization.
0: So if a manager is listening to the podcast and they hear this term toxic culture and they start thinking, yeah, our culture is kind of toxic. How long does it take to turn something like that around? Is it based on the size of the company is it based on how deep that toxicity goes
1: it's based on leadership it's based on uh, the size for sure and it's based on how deep the problem is yeah i I would say all of those things so i had uh, one client that was only 50 employees um the leader had, it was a one site in a larger company that had sites all over California. I was just working with that one site Um, with 50 employees. She had pretty easy access to them to communicate, rebuild trust. Um, And, and she wasn't, the company wasn't, or that site wasn't toxic because of her. She had been trying to resolve it. There was just some issues that she was not able to get over. That one was pretty easy. We actually, that's one of our case studies. We were able to turn around 100% of their survey scores Um, or 100% of them improved and some of them by 30% even, but that was her, you know, not me. I was just guiding her along the way. Um versus other organizations, the larger they are, the more communication there needs to be. Um, the more you have to kind of go department by department to figure out what's happening exactly in this department so that you can solve your own issues in addition to the global issues in the company. Um, I'm thinking of another case study where the leader did not take ownership at all. I actually hired a um, crisis PR guy to coach him on how yeah. to talk about it. Cause I'm like, you're in a crisis. I don't think you recognize this data has now been presented to your workforce. And he basically stood at a town hall and said, uh, kind of like, um, I don't know. I didn't know this was the organization I was leading kind of like, how could you guys all act this way, you know, and not taking ownership. So that one, I, I did it stayed with them for a little while, but they've got a long way to go still from what I hear. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah.
0: It takes but, commitment. Like I said, it takes commitment for the leadership to really get their their mind around what it is they're trying to create. What yeah. does that culture look like at the end of this? And then how do you get that to there? I had one um, person on a project said, we're having a lot of trouble with our culture because they were going through some major changes. And I said, well, I hope you're in this for the long haul because it's going to take some time to really get over this. And she goes, isn't there a faster way to do this? And I said, yes. Fire everybody. Yeah. And hire only the people you want. You know, yeah. Well, aside from that, it's just it takes time. because And a lot of people don't understand what, it, what the culture is. What, what is the company culture? When we talk about culture, what really is that?
1: Yes. So I do what I call a climate assessment, and it's a variety of different things that, in my opinion, make up culture. So uh, it looks, it measures employee engagement, it measures trust and leadership, it measures DEI, it measures um, organizational communication and, you know, do you get what you need? It measures uh, what else, job satisfaction, um, safety, if it needs to, if it's relevant. So it's all of these different facets, and we're essentially asking people to rate statements in all of these areas. And then we can come back and say, for example, everyone in this department or that, that department has lower engagement scores than the other department. So what's going on there? Um, You know, there's a lack of leadership and why, and so, or a a lack of trust in leadership and why. So, you know, we, a lot of times, if you look at like a technical definition of culture, it talks about traditions and uh, artifacts and all of those things. And yes, all of that helps understand culture but what I've seen is culture really happens in those nuanced conversations and in people's feelings about them right so if um, so those surveys are really perception checking what are people's perceptions of the organization and in my mind that's culture so
0: and then after you get the surveys back do you go and interview some of the employees to kind of talk about some of those things that came up?
1: We like to, it depends on the budget of the organization. So one thing we do that makes us different is at the end of each measure, we have an open-ended question. So it's like, now that you've responded to those 10 statements, what else you got in regard to those 10 statements? And so we actually get a lot of qualitative data versus I know a lot of survey companies do the one open-ended question at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that, but, so we do that anyway, but then yeah, if the organization has budget, we like to interview up to 10% of the uh, employee population to get more details. And then uh, from there, we can say, Here, here's the picture of your culture. Now we understand it, it's not abstract anymore. And then we work with the organization to create a strategic plan to shift, make, move the needle where we need to. Yeah.
0: Nice. Yeah, we used to, as a consultant, we used to do uh, what we called heat maps, right? We'd have a s- series of surveys asking very, very similar questions to find out if there are pockets of disbelief, pockets of where, all oh, this You know, it's not happening for us. We're not getting the same information everybody else is. So we could dial in exactly what needs to happen. You guys do similar stuff?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Very cool. Yeah, it's a fascinating subject. And uh, so many businesses I know are dealing with this, even the small, you know, 10 employees. If you have two or three employees working, you have a culture, whether you know it or not, it's there. Right. How you keep that culture and it's, Uh, whether businesses know it or not, it impacts your hiring process. It impacts Mm -hmm. who you bring in and how you bring Mm -hmm. them in. If they last, right. The engagement, the retention, everything, it, it impacts your dealing with your clients and customers, uh, vendors. Yeah. It impacts every area. Right. So if it's, if it's off, it's going to, it's going to hurt.
1: That's right. I mean, I have five, there's five of us and we have core values and have had them for a long time. And, um, they exemplify, I'm proud of them because they, I think they, they're really my own core values, but the fact that my team created them, it's all of our personal values. You know, they're not just the company's core values. We all, as people live these core values and believe in them. Uh, and so, yeah, it definitely helps with hiring. And also sometimes my team will say that is in violation of our values we can't do that you know it keeps you on the straight and narrow sure. um, and i would say that when i talk about mission and vision and core values core values are kind of like the guardrails as you're trying to yeah. get up from point a to point b um and it's great to you know that's why you need a psychologically safe environment that's part of culture so that people can feel comfortable to say i don't think that decision you know is in line with our values and um yeah. that that's my employees have said that to me before yeah. so
0: yeah, and I've worked at companies where uh, they're afraid to ask a question. They're afraid to stick their head up or, or raise their hand or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a big fan of 360 surveys because they're anonymous. People can hide in the weeds and say whatever they want, right? right. Kind of poke their head up and throw something at the boss. and
1: <laughs> Throw a piece of paper at the boss and sit back down. Yeah.
0: Wouldn't it be nice if you actually had a culture where people were confident enough and felt safe enough to say I don't think this follows our values, and right. and be taken at you know seriously and actually you know in, engaged in civil conversation would that be right. nice?
1: Right, and that's why they have to be in every nook and cranny because then if they are, people can see that they are actually values, not just words, and they're more comfortable to say, "Hey, I'm here because of these values," and that violates the value versus. I see our values on our website, but we don't, it's not actually what it's like here. So I'll keep my mouth shut. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah. I've got one client we're working now to get those um, kind of communicated out through the company so that everybody knows what, what does that exactly look like? What does that mean to you? Does it mean the same to me? Can we agree on what that common, you know, word? because saying things like respect and integrity, mm-hmm. ah, those are pretty words. What does it mean? What does it look like? What does that behavior look like? And then if somebody steps outside the line, how to have that conversation that, hey, here's our core value. We agreed on this. Here's what yep. happened. Here's the type of behavior that I prefer. Or I would rather see in that. And then, right. you know, you kind of get the person back on track.
1: Right. Absolutely. And, and I agree with you. Those subjective words like respect or integrity or professionalism, they're subjective. And I often do an exercise in trainings with companies where I'll, I'll just ask, how do you want to be treated at work? Um, and they'll type their answers in chat since it's all virtual these days. And then you can, and I tell them to put in as many words, it's not a one word answer, as many things as you can think of. And then you can see patterns. uh, And of course, often respect is one of the answers. And then my second question, once we've done that first piece is to say, okay, a lot of you said respect, what does that even mean? And then people type in their definitions. And then you learn that actually respect has a million different definitions. And then managers can take that and say, okay, one of our core values is respect. Here's how the company's defined it. Um, but let's talk about it in our own team for our own interactions. And so you can um, bring these very subjective words to life if you spend the time to focus on them.
0: And I definitely think if, if you get the, the core values out and everybody understands and they're playing along those, those guidelines, like you said, the, the rails kind of keep everybody in track the conversations you then have with employees is made a lot easier. Yeah. There's no, you know, he said, she said, it's like, no, no, no. This is the behavior. This is what we want the behavior to be. Corrective action, you know? Right. Exactly. So tell me about your book. Love the title. Back off (laughs) your kick-ass guide to ending bullying at work.
1: Yes. So that was my first book. And I had all of this information rolling around in my head from graduate school and I felt compelled to put it on paper. And so people ask, is it hard to write a book? I'm like, not for me, because I wasn't starting from scratch. I just had, I just dumped all this stuff and then I had to organize it. Um, But that book was meant to, you know, coming from an HR background, I know what HR is looking for in hearing about a complaint of bullying. Um, So it was really meant to be some advice for people who feel bullied uh, and how to navigate it. And it talks about the reasons you might be bullied and the reasons that person acts that way and Um, The things that you should be thinking about before you go to HR, it offers, uh, you know, tips on ways to try to solve it yourself before you go to HR. Um, So it was me trying to help all those people who had been in the position that I had been, um, but because I had that HR background to kind of say, here, here's what, here's my thoughts on how you might successfully navigate this. Um, Funny quick story about that, because we're talking about leadership and courage. Um, The foreword is by Ken Blanchard. And I was so I'm obsessed with Ken Blanchard. He's my, you know, I want to have a company like his. It's global bazillions of dollars. Uh, and he randomly, I see on LinkedIn that he's going to be speaking at, in San Diego. And uh, so I go to this networking event and everyone's in the foyer, you know, networking and stuff. And I'm like, where's Ken? Where's Ken? I got to talk to Ken. And uh, I had recently written an article in a magazine called um, Personal Success Magazine. And they had done a little author thing where they had asked if I could have dinner with anyone who would it be and I had said Ken Blanchard so I had my magazine with me and I finally spot him he's hiding in the corner behind the stage shoveling a sandwich into his mouth before he speaks I march right up to him I open the magazine and I point to it Ken can we have dinner I want to have dinner with you see it's right here in the magazine he he looks at it, he takes the magazine out of my hand and says I'm eating so this counts have a seat um, so I got to talk to him for a while, and I, I like to joke. As much as Ken Blanchard knows about leadership in the world, um, he had never heard the phrase "workplace bullying" before. So while I'm sure he knows all hmm. about workplace bullying, he just never heard it called that. Um, and so I joke. I my claim to fame is I taught Ken Blanchard something.
0: <laughs> Can you coined the phrase, absolutely. That no, is great. Yeah. Yeah. And he said he called your book the most comprehensive and valuable handbook on the topic. That's yes. stellar.
1: Yes. That's awesome. I didn't sleep for like a week and a half after that. Sure.
0: I still I wouldn't sleeping. be sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> That's also Very cool. So talking about courage, where did you find the courage to walk away from a nine to five job, the comfort zone, the safety net of nine to five to create your own, business?
1: Yeah. So a couple things that happened, I worked where this bullying was happening and got myself fired because I was so depressed and unhappy that I just wasn't performing anymore. Um, And my boss came to me one day and said, what's wrong? I said, and I burst into tears and I said, I got to put in my 30 day notice. I'm trying to hang on here, but I can't. And he said, you should probably leave now. So from there, I went on and got another job at a startup tech firm who had just gotten some funding for growing, and so I was going to do their HR while they grew and get them organized. That was going to be cool, but then the recession hit in 2008, and eight, nine, somewhere wow. around there, and I uh, was let go along with many others, and I literally drove home thinking between This is the second time I'm driving home without a job now in the last year, you know? Um, And so I uh, decided I'm out of corporate. I'm going to do my own thing. So I literally walked in the door and opened my laptop and bought a website and started creating a company via that website and never looked back.
0: Where did that come from? Did you have other entrepreneurs in your family?
1: Nope. (laughs) I don't know. I just... I I don't know. I was so fascinated by bullying and what I had learned. And, you know, people have always been fascinating for me. I honestly, I don't know. Um, But I I don't know where that conviction came from Uh, because, you know, I I, I really don't know. Um, But I just had decided while I was driving, I'm going to try this consulting thing and just started that company. I joined some professional associations and just everything I did started focus, you know, I was
0: focused on building this company. Nice. Very cool. So there's different types of courage we talk about. Uh, intellectual courage is the courage to be able to set aside your long-held beliefs, right? Your, the knowledge that you currently have to make room for brand new knowledge, because there's always new knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. There's moral courage, social courage, saying what needs to be said, when it needs to be said, even if it goes against the grain. Is there a type of courage that you think is most important for entrepreneurs, business owners?
1: Well, just because of my own experiences in the world I'm in, I would say that moral courage is. So, um, you know, moral courage is about not only being ethical yourself, but calling it out when other people aren't being ethical. And I, you know, my, the problem and the reason that I have a company that's successful is that uh, organizations aren't facilitating the opportunity for their employees to have moral courage. And the leaders themselves don't have moral courage because they're, as we talked about earlier, allowing people to act a certain way that's harmful and they're not willing to speak up because they think it's better for the company to not speak up. Um, And so just from where I sit, moral courage is really important. And um, people have to feel comfortable to say, hey, you know what, yesterday you made that sarcastic joke. You know, no big deal, but just in the future, Maybe not say that, you know, all of that lower level stuff that's so easy to resolve that we don't resolve because we don't know how and we don't feel comfortable to because of our organization's culture. So,
0: Hmm. and it's, yeah, that can be scary for some people to step Mm -hmm. up because you never know what reaction you're going to get. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important. Um, It's
1: great for a lot of people. I mean, we do whole trainings on bystander intervention, which you know is what i just described and there we have a whole section in there about courage and overcoming the fear and really thinking through what are you really afraid of is that realistic or not and really trying to help people work through their own stuff in okay. order to feel comfortable to to say something
0: hmm. well that would i i could see that training because there are so many times where you, as a leader, as a manager, you have to say something to your employees. You have to. It's not comfortable. It's not mm-hmm. a topic you want to do. I remember years and years and years ago, I worked with this lady that would go out to smoke, come back in and spritz herself with perfume, then you go out to smoke again, then she come back in and spritz herself with perfume, and your eyes would water. You mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. it's like somebody say something. It's like oh, I'm not going to talk about it. Like, I'm not yeah, it.
1: not me. Yeah,
0: your employees. Like no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to say anything. That's it's scary because you never know how that's going to be taken.
1: Yes. Yes. But someone's got to say it. It's causing harm. It's distracting. Mm. Um, And they, you know, that's the thing too. It's like the toilet paper thing. That person would probably be mortified if they learned that for the last three years, they've been doing that and no one ever said anything despite being so annoyed, you know, I would prefer it. You told me right away that it's too much and to find, another way. Um, you know, so it's, it's that whole thing. It's like the toilet paper on the shoe takes more courage to point it out.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. So with the leaders that you work with and stuff, what are, what are they, what are they struggling with when it comes to their culture? Is it not understanding how to build the culture? Is it not understanding how to turn it around? Is it that they either learned their management style from somebody that had a toxic culture what is it they're doing
1: well so there's two versions of leaders that i work with one version is those leaders who want me to do the survey they recognize the culture itself is a problem and they're looking for guidance on solving it i think those leaders uh recognize they're too in it you know they're too biased they their leading culture is not a skill that we all have some leaders are really great at it just naturally others not so much um, and so it's, you know, recognizing there's a problem and being willing to bring someone into to help. Uh, the other type of leader I coach are those toxic leaders who, you know, it's not a, a culture overhaul we're doing. It's just that one person's behavior needs to change. And in that instance, uh, they've been forced into coaching with me. They're not happy to be there initially. Um, and the, what's driving that behavior is complete unawareness of how impact or what the impact is of their behavior, the damage it's causing. Um, and they're also really focused on competence. So they, uh, live in dire fear of being seen as incompetent. And, mm. um, and so those two things mix together and then there, you know, there's often organizational problems that cause stress for them. So anyway, those leaders, uh, that's a whole nother type of <laughs> coaching wow. that I'm doing.
0: Wow. And so you say you have five people working for you?
1: I do. Yeah.
0: Nice. If I was to accidentally bump into one of them and ask them what type of leader you are, what would they tell me? What kind of leader are you?
1: I don't know. Can I turn to my <laughs> staff member over there and ask her? Oh, that's not <laughs> Can funny. I bring a guest? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I would say I, I think, and I hope that my staff, uh, recognizes that I, I allow myself to be super vulnerable. I cry, I share all sorts of things. And I know one school of thought is you're their boss. Don't overshare. And they're not your friends and all that stuff. Yes. To a certain extent, but on the other hand, they are my best friends. I love everyone I work with. And, um, we need to be vulnerable here because we're doing hard work. We're interviewing people who are crying and depressed and talking about how their life is ruined because of the bully or the culture they're in. And, um, so I think that they would say I'm pretty vulnerable and I'm, I'm just myself all the time. I don't, I'm not somebody at work and someone different at home. Um, and I think they'd also say that I'm, I'm pretty courageous. I, you know, I'm always pushing myself out of my comfort zone. I encourage them to get out of their comfort zones. It's all about, you know, figure it out, but not in a like, Oh, figure it out. You know, it's like, okay, here's something we want to do. Let's figure it out. And I'm, I'm also trying to be very collaborative. Very rarely do I make a decision by myself. Yeah, you know, I've, if I do make a decision by myself, I've collected advice from everyone before I make it.
0: That's awesome. That's good. Yeah. You guys just working within those toxic departments or or businesses, that's got to wear on you. You know, you, you need the support of each other to come back and say, you know,
1: Yes, absolutely. And we try to, we have fun. Um, Our office is decorated really fun. We have a big uh, neon sign that says positive vibes Um, I like to randomly give massages or facials or, you know, it's just, yeah, self-care and also that Uber work-life balance. I'm not going to ask my employees to sit in all of that muck for 12 hours a day. I need them to sit in it for eight, (laughs) but then they get to go home.
0: (laughs) So what's next for you? I mean, you've done so much and accomplished so much. What's next?
1: I have a, a plan. Um, my goal is to continue to speak. I love speaking at conferences uh, and being on podcasts and sharing my messages. And so uh, the goal is to move towards Catherine Matisse the keynote speaker uh, that in turn feeds, leads to Civility Partners, the consulting company. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. I've been, I hired a TEDx coach and I'm. Yay. Good working job. on TEDx. Yeah. Good so job. one day I'll get in. Um and uh yeah, I that's that's the goal. Excellent. Any yeah. more books? Actually, I already have two others. Um, and I do intend on revamping that first book back off. It was written right out of grad school. You know, I know so much more than I did then. Uh so I actually uh, will be working with some editors to help me figure out what I what I need to do to improve it. So there'll be a a part two, and then I'll have to figure out a way to stop Ken Blanchard and get him to write exactly. the Exactly. <laughs> hey, remember me? I, I don't know. Yeah, can I put on the front cover of the second one? The first edition was, yes. I had a forward Ken Blanchard. <laughs> It'll be the longest title ever. ever Back off your kick ass guide to ending bullying at work. Formally, it's a forward <laughs> For by Ken by, Blanchard. <laughs>
0: nice. So, if you could pick somebody to do the forward to your second book or the update to this one? Who would it be? Would it be Ken again?
1: No. Um, you know, unfortunately uh, I think Ken has really lost his, uh, you know, he was so big. So all back then um, I would really want it to be somebody like Patrick Lincioni or, um, you know, unfortunately, of course, forwards are always all about who's going to help me sell my book. So it would be somebody along those lines and I'm not beyond stalking them to get them to, to do it. Absolutely, <laughs> That's what I have a team for. it <laughs> will be collaborative stalking.
0: Perfect. You've just coined another phrase. That's perfect. Yeah. Collaborative stalking. All right. Um, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. this has yeah. been great. If people want to reach out to you and get in touch with you and learn more about your programs, what you do, how you do things,
1: uh, copies of your books,
0: how can they do that? What's your website?
1: My website is civilitypartners.com and you can just Google me. I'm on pages and pages of Google (laughs) so you can find me easily. I'm not that hard to find.
0: (laughs) And your books are available off the website?
1: They are, yep. There's a book section. Certainly they're on Amazon. Um, Yeah, and I would encourage everyone to sign up for my my blog or my e-newsletter, which is my blog. Um, We send out a weekly, very short to the point, often fun type of a a post that always provides very tangible information about culture.
0: Very cool. Excellent. All right. I will make sure all of those links are in the show notes so people know how to get in touch with you. And again, thanks very much for taking time out of your day. This has been great. Yeah. Thank you. Very cool. All right, listeners, hope you guys are taking a lot of good notes, a lot of good information here. Uh, Definitely, um, if you have questions, definitely reach out, but you put them in the comments too. We'd love to get some comments on this. If you have any questions about things that are going on, maybe how toxic your culture is at your company. We'd love to find out what's going on there. Uh, Share this episode with your family, friends, colleagues, like it, share it, leave a testimonial if you want. That'd be awesome. And uh, yeah, stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan saying so long for now.